Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. It, oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. I am your host, W.J. Sheehan, author of the series of books, Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters, 11 volumes in paperback, ebook, Kindle, and audio format, and 10 of the 11 are currently available in audio format at Amazon, iTunes, and where else, Kev? <laughs> Kindle? <laughs> Audible? Audible, thank you very much. Kmart? <laughs> and Corvettes? We, <laughs> Caldor? As we begin, may I introduce you to my brother and co-host, KJ Sheehan. <laughs> well, what was the name of that? Weird store in the mall, Bill. McCrory's. McCrory's? Can you get them in McCrory's? McCrory's. Remember Sam Goody? Sam Goody. That was a cool record store. Yeah, that was the place to go when you wanted to get something at the time, you know? I could only look at stuff in there. I didn't have any money to buy anything. (laughs) But I did go and look a lot. Hey, by the way, before it slips my mind and I forget, uh, at least one listener had uh, contacted me about... Like, what's going on with the Kindle version of Volume 11? Mm-hmm. And uh, Casey, uh, Sugar Studios, the lady who does my books with me, she wound up having to purchase a new laptop. She was having issues and blaming it on this, that, and the other thing. And the issue was her laptop. Ah. And once she bought that and replugged it in, she was able to finish off the Kindle version of Volume 11. So if you're interested in Kindle, uh, all 11 volumes are currently available, and everything except for 11 hasn't been recorded in audio format yet. Okay, but and you still can get it in Sam Goody, though. If you could find Sam Goody, <laughs> I got his phone number if you want to call It's on 33 RPM vinyl. <laughs> I, I don't know if it's on 33 and a third RPMs. It might be on a 45. It's on Bigfoot. Just go look for Bigfoot as the artist. Now, Kev, I, I got to tell you something coming out of the gate here tonight because it's worth talking about. All right. We, we try to talk about things that are worth talking about. That's right. I know sometimes it doesn't seem it. It doesn't always seem it. I agree, but we do try. <laughs> so one of our listeners... I was having a conversation with them the other day, and they were boning me up a little bit on the two vampire guys that they found those bodies wrapped up in sheets or whatever, and the other girls, they were sucking the blood out of their wrists that you were talking about in Louisiana. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The old story. Yeah, uh, the old legitimate story. Oh, yeah, yeah. So he said that he knew a couple of things about these guys and their demise and some other things that I thought were kind of interesting. First of all, before I jump into that, you remember the saying, I wouldn't touch that with a 10-foot pole? Yeah. Okay, so listen to this. He says that in Louisiana, they don't bury people. Uh, uh, what's the pl- city? Uh, just help me out here. What's the city where they have the Mardi Gras and all that jazz? New Orleans. New Orleans, thank you. The city underwater. Yeah. Uh, he said they bury them in tombs. And after a year, they open the tomb. I guess the end of it opens or something. And there's a space on the back end. And they take a 10-foot pole and push the bones to the back space where they drop down into like a pit or something. And they can now put a new body in there. Oh, and they use it again. Right. So here's the deal. These guys were buried in two of these tombs. And I think he said a year and a day, which must have been some type of time frame, a year and a day when they opened it to push the bones back, their two tombs were empty. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, we had a conversation about, well, what do you think happened? You know, I'm wondering if some neighborhood people, like kind of vigilante individuals, thought these guys were so freaking evil that after they were put in there, uh, you know, they went and got their bodies and freaking burnt them in a pit or something, you know. But at any rate, according to him, they were gone, and it was publicized uh, down in that neck of the woods. And then after the fact... Uh, there were those who said they saw these two freaking ghouls walking around the streets. Mm. So, that I don't doubt, because you know those vampires, that was part of the theory where they said, kill us. Yeah. Because then that's better than being locked up, because, you know, they kill us, they're, they're the undead. Yeah, they, no. They can't be killed. Now listen to this. This may be a... Just sh- don't kill us with a silver bullet or a wooden stake through our heart. Yeah, that's all right. I'll just machete you with my samurai sword. <laughs> <laughs> I keep hitting you until you look like a can of hash. <laughs> <laughs> but here's something interesting that Philip said the other day. He said, Bill, do you remember when Moses died and God hid the body so Satan couldn't have him? Did you ever read that scripture? Do you know what I'm even talking about? You know, I read that a long time ago, though. Yeah. So I said to myself, wow, that's that's a strange thing to bring up, Philip. And we had a kind of... Yeah, I don't know where you're going with this one. Well, I don't know either. But the point is that perhaps uh, uh, their involvement with this occult, with this raw, brutal, satanic lifestyle... Maybe he came to get them. See, I, I think it's simpler than that. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, you know me, Occam's Razor. Right. And, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blow Occam's Razor here partially just because I do believe in vampires. So, uh-huh. um, so I think, you know, the most obvious answer is somebody didn't trust the fact that these guys were buried. Right. So they took the bodies and then, 
you know, drove a stake through their hearts, burned them, whatever, you know. Did that type of ritualistic thing with them. Totally did the ritualistic thing and made them into dust so that they don't have a body to walk around in. Right, just burnt them in an inferno or something. Yeah, so that's one. Mm -hmm. And then two, which still to me is Occam's Razor, because these guys, to me, were vampires. Mm -hmm. And I believe in that, Mm -hmm. so... You know, so that they just, you know, hey, they killed them. You know, whatever they did back then, shot them, shot them in the heart or something. Uh, however, they executed a criminal. And uh, they, you know, got up from the dead because they were the undead and got out of there. And that's why you don't see them. Yeah. I, and they were smart enough to close up the uh, vault again. Yeah. When I, 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 kind of join up with the prior in that I think some community people, especially sure. in a community yeah. like that, where there's a lot of weirdness going on. There's a lot of hoodoo and voodoo. And <laughs> I, I don't think it's beyond the realm of people that they raided those tombs and took matters into their own hands. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. So incredible, though. Uh, yeah, yeah. Pretty cool. The that turn of events. There. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So I just thought I'd bring that up to you. And and folks, listen, you know, uh, KJ and I are cut from the same cloth in that if you have anything to contribute to this, uh, do reach out to us, as always, at uh, BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com and uh, give us your input. Yeah, contact us. Yeah, contact and, uh, us. And let us know, man. We, you know, we love hearing from you, and we will... Uh, uh, acknowledge you in most cases, and we will definitely look into ideas that you have and talk about the idea you have, like in this case. Yeah, now, by acknowledging them, Kev, do we actually have to talk to people? Uh, sometimes. All right. Sometimes. All right. Occam's razor. You don't have to look directly at them, but you have to talk to them. <laughs> by the way, folks... <coughs> If you hear me getting a little raspy or coughing, I'm just getting over COVID. Ah. Yeah, I had COVID a week ago, and I'm on the back end of it now. It was hell. And um, I tested once negative two days ago, and I'm going to do it again uh, tonight after midnight. And uh, I feel better, much better. Well, you know what they say, Bill. You know how you catch COVID. Uh, on roller skates? No, you take a test for it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So, Kev, what do we have today in our cryptids in the news and other oddities? Interestingly segments? enough, so, you know, Bill and I rarely share what we're going to talk about uh, with one another. Like, I don't know what account he's going to do tonight, and he doesn't know what I'm going to do in cryptids in the news and other oddities. And I didn't know he was going to talk about the two vampires. And it just so happens we're going to get the creep on again. We might be on a record-setting pace of getting the creep on. (laughs) But it is winter. It is dark. It is cold and dreary. And we're going to Transylvania. (laughs) You know, Transylvania is such a freaking powder keg. You know, when you look at pictures of the current city of Transylvania, like you were talking about that guy you met that looked like Eddie Munster. Well, he was a vampire that was 600 years old. Other than that, he did look like Eddie Munster. Yeah, and I mean, the city looks beautiful and quaint. 
Nice little buildings with spires on the roofs. and Oh, beautiful. Yeah, you know, long history of burning witches and <laughs> stuff like that. You know, yeah, yeah. Bloody battles. Vlad, Vlad the Impaler, you know, <laughs> driving stakes through people and posting them on posts outside of his castle just yeah. to let people know, like, Probably don't want to come here, black-eyed children, unless you want to end up on a post. Yeah, well, that's one way to win a local election. Exactly. <laughs> and, you know, you're saying how pretty the cities are. But, Bill, they say the forests are not so pretty. Uh. And we are going to go tonight to the creepiest forest in Transylvania. <laughs> One over another. <laughs> it's not even a contest. Okay. So forget about Count Dracula's castle, Vlad the Impaler, burning witches in the city square. We're going to Hoya Bashu. Oh, that's that freaking small forest where they claim 60 that... 60-acre freak show forest. Everything from demons... Gray, uh, gray people, you know, gray shadow people, whatever you want to call them. Yeah, yeah. Um, UFOs in modern day. I mean, just crazy place. Yeah. And it's only 60 acres, which, folks, that's pretty small for a forest. That's right. And to have such concentrated activity. Yeah. And then it has in the center of it or near the center of it what they call the rotunda which is this bare patch of land. Looks to be, you know, maybe about a 200 feet by 200 feet, a circle. Mm-hmm. So 200 feet in diameter, where you have these dense, creepy, twisty trees that grow nowhere else in Transylvania, except this forest. Mm-hmm. So they're really twisty in shape. I'll put some pictures of them up on our uh, website, BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com, under episode 236. Mm-hmm. And then you have this bare patch of land in the middle where people have had these absolute creep show experiences when they try to spend the night in this area of the forest. Uh, Kev, I have seen pictures of these trees, and it is the most bizarre thing that they're all gnarly and twisted and deformed. And, like, why? Well, and, you know, I mean, like where I live out at the coast here in North Carolina, we have a a small, like forest is very generous, lightly wooded area right on the beach in Fort Fisher, North Carolina. If any of you North Kakalakis, you know what I'm talking about. And they have these live oaks down there that are like twisty and stuff like that. But they're not creepy looking. They're kind of cool looking. These twisty trees are creepy looking. Yeah, it's like they're by design. Uh, wicked looking or just they look like they're out of a haunted freaking movie well yeah not to mention the fact that they're in Transylvania yeah I don't understand this stuff and that rotunda where nothing grows yep everything grows around it there's oh, dense, dense trees. Yeah, there's soil in there. And then it's what? then it's like sandy looking area, and nothing has grown for, you know, a thousand years. Yeah, what the heck? Yeah. Do you know that uh, 
years ago, Josh Gates went in there with his crew, probably a decade ago, from Expedition Unknown. Yeah, yeah. And they were setting up... Uh, each person was voluntarily going out into the rotunda alone, kind of wired. Yeah, with a camera on him. And that. That's correct. And yep. one of the guys got blasted out of the camera. It looked like a 300-mile-an-hour yeah, hurricane. Like a jet engine turned on in front of him and blew him across the rotunda. Yeah, and he was in a bad way. Yeah, would never go back. and. Yeah. They stopped filming, like definitely not part of the production. And he had these deep gashes in his forearms, yeah. not from like falling, but like something grabbed onto him with claws and slid down his arms. Uh, yeah, and Josh said he was crying and everything. And uh, yeah. he was just like, from just sitting in there talking to them in the dark, blam, flying out of the picture. And then, of course, they went to his aid. And the rest is history, as you say. What the heck did that? Exactly. Uh, exactly. Uh, what's the name of the forest again? It is Hoya Bashu. Hoya Bashu. Yeah, it's got a That's word. how you pronounce it, but it's H O I A B A C I U. Yeah, man. And it's hard to pronounce this stuff in Romania. You know, oh, sure, they have their own. The home of Transylvania. Yeah, they, they have. For some reason, they don't speak English, Bill. I, I don't know. I, like, yeah. what's up? Why do you have to rebel against us? <laughs> what did you say? Uh, I'm going to bite your neck. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Let me close my shutters here. <laughs> Let me speak plainly to you, comrade. <laughs> oh, I got frightened. Oh, it's this dog man looking in my window. That's good. <laughs> now, is there anything... Uh, Locally, about the history of this place, any suspicions or? Oh yeah, I mean the stories go on for years and years there, and it's actually named the forest. The Hoyabashu is named after a shepherd who went missing in the forest with a flock of two hundred sheep. The so God, way the, the, back when they named the forest after this guy who just disappeared with all of his sheep. So a couple of hundred sheep and the shepherd, boom, gone. Never to be seen again, no trace of them. And then get this, Bill. So in 1968, you know, modern day, relatively speaking, um, they came to international attention when a guy named Emil Barnia, who was a military technician, photographed what he claimed was a UFO hovering over the rotunda. Hmm. Yeah, and, and this is important, Bill. We talk about this a lot mm -hmm. in our different sightings. Mm -hmm. And um, they say in this story, what differentiates this story from other UFO claims is that this gentleman, Emil Barnia, had nothing to gain from reporting the sighting and literally everything to lose. Mm. And the, the communist government, right, Back then, this was under communist rule, Romania. Mm -hmm. the, they equated a belief in the paranormal with madness and state sabotage. Well, so he, he was going to get locked up in the gulag, potentially, not to be seen for a long time. Yeah, and, and what happened is he lost his job, 
and uh, there was no support in the country for those that, you know, lose their job. So he basically gave up his life and his family's life by reporting this UFO sighting. Well, you know, Kevin, it obviously meant so much to him to have to say something. Absolutely. When uh, the stakes were that high. Yeah, I mean, he, he had everything to lose and did lose it. And nothing to gain, literally nothing to gain. And still felt compelled to make the statement. Now, he was a military technician, and he did see this. So it's different than somebody roaming through the park that sees it at night, right? You know, mm-hmm. I mean, you're a military technician. You should report You should report it. You would think so. I mean, you'd think here you'd get court-martialed if you did see it, and you didn't report it. Yeah. Weird yeah. stuff. Very so it's strange. You know, and it's not just the sightings in that. It's interesting. So today, visitors to the forest report strange symptoms, including, like, extreme nausea, anxiety, and, of course, the feeling of being watched. Yeah. And they have failure of electronic devices, you know, a bit like the Uinta Basin. Yeah, the same old stuff. Same old stuff, like out of Skinwalker. Mm-hmm. And then they also see these shadow figures. Wow. Yeah. Total creep fest. Yeah, and you know what I think about shadow figures. These things are just freaking demons. Oh, yeah. Uh, wow, man. Hoya Baku. Exactly. Now, now, listen again, folks. I hate to beat a, a dead horse, but I will. If you know anything more about this place or you've heard anything or any other uh, items of interest to plug in about this Hoya Baku uh, forest in Romania, uh, reach out to us, you know, because this place is freaking absolutely off the charts. Creepy. Exactly. And by the way, Bill, the proper expression tonight is I hate to beat a dead vampire. Yeah, well, no, see, I wouldn't say that because I'd love to be the dead vampire. <laughs> I'll, I'll flip him around like Joe Jitsu on the Dick Tracy cartoon. Ah. All right, so what kind of creepy account do you have for us, Bill? Can you top that? Uh, no, I can't top that. Okay. But I do have a very interesting and unusual uh, Bigfoot encounter that came out of Florida. Uh a long time ago. Uh, but so I guess what we're talking about when we're talking about any type of Bigfoot in Florida is a swamp babe. Can swamp we say that? Swamp babe, yeah. I don't know why, but, you know, this. it seems that Florida is labeled swamp babe, you know. Well, usually the sightings are in the swamp. Yeah, in or around right. uh, swampy areas, marshy areas, Everglades, you know. Which, by so, the way, though, I, I mean, I've shown my bias previously that those those are even more believable than any other sightings because who the heck would put a furry suit on and walk around in three foot of swamp with water moccasins and alligators? Yeah, and there's nothing about that that would make sense. Not no, to and everybody in there that would possibly see it is armed and dangerous. Yeah, there's all kinds of characters down there. But I mean, anybody, Bill, if we went into the swamp and we were going sightseeing, like, come on, man, we'd be armed and dangerous. Like, in case we ran into a swamp ape or a water moccasin or alligator or all of the above. Yeah. And not to mention uh, quick mud or quick sand. Oh, yeah. 
I mean, you could just be stomping around in there and just disappear, sinking up to your neck, and then your head is consumed and you're gone. But uh, this account was told to me by an old picker, like uh, the American picker oh. guys. Uh, he was living in Tallahassee, Florida during the early 70s. Uh, his name is Boone English. And this is what he had to say about his encounter. When I first contacted you, Bill, I had said to you that it would be my pleasure to contribute what had happened to me to your little journal. I had actually moved from the Tallahassee area in 1973. And what I'm about to share with you and your readers actually transpired in July of 69. I was 14 years old at the time. Back then, my dad was a heavy equipment operator involved in housing developments, building construction, demolition, and damn near anything else that you could think of where a piece of heavy equipment was needed. He would run a crane, a dozer, and anything in between. In the back of our house, my dad always kept several 50-gallon drums in which he put his scrap metal one for brass, copper, another for aluminum, and another for raw wire. This was all the booty, as he used to call it, that he gathered from job sites. A friend of my father's, a, a Mr. Davis, owned a scrapyard where I worked part-time and off the books on the weekends. It was then when Mr. Davis told me I could make money scrapping that my eyes were open to how much cash was laying around in garbage in the form of scrap metal. Now, I was too young to drive, but I had a bicycle, had three baskets on it. That's when I decided to begin my secondary career hunting in trash bins and garbage cans for scrap. The Vietnam was still going on hot and heavy at that time, and metals were being sold at a premium. In fact, even as a kid, I knew that many guys were stealing stuff like radiators from cars. And Mr. Davis just turned a blind eye and paid up with cash for all of this stuff. He had a small blockhouse in the back of his yard that was buried behind mountains of metal. That's where a couple of really creepy cats spent every day chopping stuff up so small that nobody'd be able to tell what it was when it came in the yard. In other words, they were destroying the evidence. The money was pouring in and out, and it was all cash. I was getting up really early in the morning and making the rounds all over the town on my bike. On garbage day, I'd hit hundreds and hundreds of residential trash cans collecting metal. I kept a series of wrenches and a hacksaw on my bike to cannibalize anything and everything, including the proverbial kitchen sink. I was having a ball with my little hustle, turning over several hundred dollars a week. In two months' time, I had bought what would be my first car, which was a 65 Fairlane 500 with a 390 and a four-speed. Nice car. Giddy up. I paid $1,000 cash for it, and I was going to sit on it until I could drive. Aside from hitting the neighborhood cans, I began to dumpster dive. A lot of people would sneak into businesses and complexes 
to throw large items into their dumpsters at night when nobody was around. And I started to make some major finds climbing in and around these bins. But it was a dirty and nasty business. Sometimes I got more than I bargained for finding a raccoon or something else in the dumpster with me upon getting in it. The other thing was that I had to get into the dumpsters very early in the day because after the sun came up and hit the metal, they were like an oven. You couldn't even touch the metal sides without burning your hands. Now, my dad knew that I was responsible, and at 14, I was already six feet tall. Every morning, I got up at 4 a.m. and went out on my rounds. I'd learned my lesson several times over about just opening the lid on a garbage dumpster early in the morning. On this particular morning, I was approaching a three-dumpster compound near the rear of a large trailer park. This set of dumpsters alone usually represented a five or a $10 hit for me every time I came to them. Now, these dumpsters were set on a concrete slab in the dark up against the woods. I always carried a couple of flashlights with me in case one broke or went dead while I was out diving. It was pretty dark as, as, as I was riding up to the site because it was, a, it was cloudy and there hadn't been a moon. There was a lot of noise coming out from one of the dumpsters and the steel lid was slapping up and down. The first thing that I said to myself was there was a bear inside. I turned and parked my bike about 100 feet away and picked up a couple of rocks to throw at the dumpster to scare whatever was in there away. When I chucked the first rock, I hit the bin squarely, which sounded like a sledgehammer hitting the side of a steel drum. As soon as I heard the noise, the metal lid came blowing open, and out from the can like a jack-in-a-box jumps this screaming gorilla. He flew out, clearing the side of the dumpster in one clean jump, and the lid came crashing down behind him. The side of this dumpster was nearly five feet tall, and he was maybe three feet taller than the can. He was now standing next to it, snorting and growling like a wild boar. The noise was so loud that the lights started going on all around from different trailers. And a couple of the men actually came out of their front doors. Now, I'm standing in the dark next to my bike, hoping like hell that this monster was not going to attack me. But I don't think it had time to realize that I was even there. It turned and darted away into the woods, and it was gone. It was maybe only a minute later when a man ran over with a flashlight and said to me, what the hell is going on here, young fella? When I tried to, him, tried to explain to him what had happened, he didn't believe me. I told him that I was telling the God's honest truth and he said to me, there are no big gorillas in Florida or anywhere else. Now get the hell out of here before I call the police. Well, as you would imagine, I left in a hurry. I went straight home to tell my dad. He knew I was not prone to lying, and frankly, even he was having a hard time swallowing what I was saying. Later that day, he and I drove back over to where this thing had jumped out of this can. 
We walked over, and as I described to my dad in detail what happened, we were standing there. We walked next to the can. We looked down at exactly where I had told him the gorilla had landed. There were huge impressions in the soil next to the concrete slab. They were two large human-like feet, and the impressions were about two inches into the dirt. As soon as my dad saw them, his entire demeanor had changed. He looked at me and then into the woods where I told him it had run. I remember him just shaking his head and saying, what the heck is a gorilla doing over here? Anyways, we both got back into the truck and went home. That apparently was all the proof my dad needed. I told him it didn't look like any gorilla pictures that I had ever seen, it being way too tall and wide to be in any zoo. I called it the monster gorilla, and he just shook his head. That's it, Kim. Well, Bill, that's pretty wild. Swamp ape in the dumpster in Florida. Yeah, you know, I mean, Kev, uh, these critters can show up anywhere and at any time. And obviously, this thing was hopping up and down inside of that dumpster, like tearing bags apart, and its back was popping the lid up and down, you know? Yeah, well, and this guy was smart enough uh, not to go and, like, climb in. You know, throwing a rock at the dumpster was pretty darn smart. Yeah, you never know what you're going to find in there. <laughs> Hi. Hey, come on in. Yeah, funny to meet you here. We were just hanging out. I got some cool black light posters in here. Why don't you climb all the way in and shut the lid? That's the best way to see what's going on in here. Right on, brother. <laughs> it's fascinating that you just really can never know the how, the when, and the why when something weird is going to be presented to you, you know? Oh, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. But we're talking about this Hoyabachu, you know, forest in Transylvania and vampires getting convicted in uh, Louisiana. Bodies disappearing. Bodies yeah. disappearing out of tombs, you know. I mean, it's all good. It's all good. Yeah. All good in the hood. Yeah. Strange goings on out there, man. All right. Well, speaking of strange goings on, we're going to go to some listener mail. All right. Let's get it on. Get it on. All right. And our first email comes in from Rob from Oklahoma. And like the license plate says, Rob, Oklahoma is okay. <laughs> and he writes, hi, guys. Rob from Oklahoma here. It's been a while since I've contacted you guys, but rest assured, I'm still listening. I have several stories I could relate to you. Most are covered in my own books that I call Campfire Tales from Uncle Rob. <laughs> <laughs> he says, I have many weird and funny things happen to me. I wonder if he has any weird, funny things happen. Yeah, well, it depends what you call funny. Hmm. For now, though, I'd like to give you a suggestion for your cryptids in the news and other oddities segment. Have you heard of the Mad Gasser of Mattoon, Illinois? Well, I have to say I have not. Well, Bill, you're not going to believe this, and Rob, you won't believe this either. 
but I've actually been to Mattoon, Illinois, a handful of times in the last 10 years. Oh, isn't that interesting? Very small old town in Illinois. And Rob, if you or any of the listeners don't believe me, there is an excellent little Thai restaurant right off of the town square in Mattoon, Illinois. Do we remember the name of the excellent Thai restaurant? No, I'm thinking it's like Thai food. <laughs> <laughs> We're in Mattoon, Bill. It's not called the Mad Gasser's Thai Palace? It's not Thai called Palace? the Mad Gasser's Thai Palace. No, that would be cool. Uh, our Thai food it, is a gas, man. <laughs> <laughs> but it, So this goes back to 1944, apparently, in Mattoon, Illinois. A series of weird attacks took place. Folks were being gassed by persons or entities unknown. Most of the attacks took place while folks were in bed. All persons affected reported similar symptoms, nausea and paralysis. Some people spotted a tall, dark man at the scene or running away from the scene. Hmm. The police and even the FBI were on the case. One lady found a white cloth on a porch that, when smelled, sent an electric shock through her, after which she was violently ill and had paralysis in her legs. There are many theories about what the mad gasser was. As you can well imagine, to me, it always brings to mind Spring-Heeled Jack. Hmm. Check it out, KJ, and see what you think. Keep up the great work, guys. Rob. This has to require some further investigation, Kev, because under such circumstances, certainly some detectives would have got a hand on the cloth, maybe done some chemical analysis. Yeah, got, have to look it up. We'll see what kind of info's out there. There's got to be something else out there if it's legit. Yep. Uh, very, very know. strange circumstances. 1944, maybe it was some kind of a wartime thing, too. You never know. Yeah, well, coming from Uncle Rob's campfire stories, <laughs> you never know. <laughs> yeah. So we're only going to do one email this week, folks. I apologize, but I am wrestling with some technical difficulties tonight, and we're going to get her done. Well, get her done, we will. And remember, folks... If you've seen something, say something. BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com. Hit the contact button and tell us what you've seen, and I will reach out to you. And by the way, if you should find yourself walking around in McCoon, Oklahoma, Transylvania, Florida, or anywhere else, you best remember one thing, my friends. Always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. Sleep tight.